The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to open it to that text, Jonah chapter 2. We're going to be spending quite a bit of time in there today. Um, There's a few things that I just want to to remind you of. Um, We have these, uh, these resource guides at the back, right when you came in on the table there. Um, They are just filled with all sorts of things to help you dig deeper into this series um, as as we go. Now, you can also also go online to westwaychurch.com. There's a 1015 link, and on there, anything that is underlined in the resource guide is actually a hyperlink. Well, since this is a piece of paper, you can't click on that here. But you can go online... You can go online to our website and find all of those audio podcasts, the videos, and we really just encourage you um, to spend time in those things. We also utilize the Uversion app here at Westway Christian Church. Um, there's an event set up for today, and you'll find a link to that electronic document all in Uversion. So same thing. You can just click on all of those links. These are the kinds of things that when we are when we're creating our sermon series, when we're praying and, and meditating and reflecting on what God has for us as a church body, these are the kinds of things, these resources are what we, what we take in to help shape and, and guide what we're doing. And it's a great way for you to be ready to talk about what we're going to talk about on Sunday mornings. So one of the things I want to talk about with you this morning is uh, there's, these, um, there's these things called idioms and euphemisms. Right? They're parts of speech, idioms and euphemisms. An idiom is an expression or saying that has a figurative rather than a literal meaning. So here's an example of an idiom. Raining cats and... Right. When we hear someone say it's raining, out, raining cats and dogs, we look outside, what don't we see? We don't see cats and dogs, right? We understand that this is an idiom. This is a, this is a phrase. This is a part of speech. Uh, here's another one. Hit the hay. We're going to hit the, I don't have any idea what you people just said. <laughs> hit the hay. That means I'm going to go to sleep, right? It's time to hit the hay. I'm going to go to sleep. Um, another one is costs an arm and a leg, right? That means it's really expensive. That means when you go to buy that new Jeep Grand Cherokee, right, and it says $96,000 on the commercial. I was having a conversation with with someone the other day. Like the first time I saw that, I thought to myself, that had to be a typo. Like there's no way that that can be accurate. Well, then the next time I saw the commercial, that same dollar amount was still on there. So I think if you buy a Jeep Grand Cherokee, it is going to cost you an arm and a leg. So here are some outdated idioms. These are idioms from the 17th century. Uh, one of these is plot, someone who spoils or ruins the progress of any undertaking, a spoil sport. We don't call them a spoil sport. We call them an plot. An antiquated rogue, that is an ex-thief. Farting crackers. <laughs> That's a synonym for pants. I have no idea how you get pants out of that, but that's an idiom. When someone would say, I guess, go put on your farting crackers, they were telling you to go put your pants on. Um, And then there is heathen philosopher, 
And this one was one of my favorites as well. A messy or shabbily attired man whose underwear can be seen through the holes in his trousers. So those are idioms. Okay? So here's, let's talk about euphemism. A euphemism is a type of idiom that softens an otherwise blunt, harsh, provocative, or sensitive topic. So here are some current euphemisms. Between jobs. Right? That means you are unemployed. Um, Bought the farm. You died. Right? We don't say someone died. We say they bought the farm. So here are some outdated euphemisms. Uh, The first one that I found is badger-legged. If you were badger-legged, you had one leg that was shorter than the other. And then another one is a barley bun gentleman, a rich man who chooses to live poorly. See, these are idioms, these are euphemisms, and, and when, we, when we hear these things, we know, that, we know that they're describing something else. And this is going to be pretty important for what we're going to talk about in Jonah chapter 2 today, because the Bible also uses lots of idioms and lots of euphemisms. And I'll probably say the exact same thing in a few minutes. But because we don't live in, we don't live 2,500 years ago, 3,000 years ago, that's not our culture. Some of the things we read in the Bible are idioms and euphemisms. And see, we're, gonna, we're not going to know that because we don't live in that time and culture, right? Just like today, we don't have to describe what it means when it's, when it's raining cats and dogs to anyone else. There are things that take place in the Bible that, the, that God had the biblical authors write that didn't need to be explained because the people would have automatically understood them. So we're going to talk more about that in a second. Um, here's here's another, one more thing I want to just get out of the way before we dig into Jonah chapter 2 today. So it's interesting being in, being in a town, being, the, being one of the pastors at a church um, for five years. Because, you, because after, after five years, you begin to learn like what the word on the street is about you. Um, as you have different conversations with not only people in the community, but different conversations with different pastors in the community, you begin to hear what people are saying about you. And the vast majority of them are like crazy um, things. Uh, I had a pastor, this was about eight months ago. Uh, we were at a pastor's event and, and another pastor in town said, hey, I have a question for you. Um, so I went, we kind of w- went to a little private space. He said, so I have somebody that, I have somebody that came from, um, that came from your church, they now come to our church. And this is what he said, you said from the pulpit. And I was like, well, this is gonna be good. Right? I cannot wait to hear what I said. I said, okay, so what was the thing? And he said, quote, you said from the pulpit, following CRT is more important than following the Bible. That was kind of my response. And it was like, I looked at this pastor. So CRT stands for critical race theory, if you don't know. Um, so I looked at this pastor and I said, well, you know, what's really funny about that? I don't think I've ever uttered those initials ever in my entire life. And then I said, CRT to, uh, to this person. I said, I think that's the first time. And I said, I haven't even talked about critical race theory with my wife at home. Like we've never had this conversation, right? So I'm just like trying to figure out, like racking my brain, where does all of this, all of this come from? 
Um, and then the second thing, and this was recent, uh, this was about eight weeks ago, I had a pastor um, that I'm in pretty good relationship with say, hey, I heard from someone who used to go to Westway that they don't go to Westway anymore because John says the Bible's not true. That also was my response. Right, it's like what, like what world are, are people in when they, when they hear these things? And, and I'm telling you this because, because today we're going to read through Jonah chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 17 in chapter 1, where it says that God sent a fish to swallow Jonah. So, so I want to be very clear. I believe, and this is going to make me sound insane to some of you, I believe that Jonah was literally swallowed by a fish. That might, that might make me sound insane to you, but that, like, so you can go out and tell people that, I guess, that John actually believes that Jonah was swallowed by a fish. So, so I actually believe that Jonah was swallowed by a fish. But here's reality, and this is why I started talking about idioms and euphemisms. There is far more going on in this story than Jonah just being swallowed by a fish. Right? So there's Jonah being swallowed by a fish, but there's, there's something underneath that phrase. There's something underneath that concept. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. So again, when you walk out of here and someone comes to you and says, hey, I hear John doesn't believe that Jonah was swallowed by a fish, you can say, yeah, you have no idea what you're talking about. Because that, that's what I believe. Okay? So let's recap Jonah where we are right now. Jonah's been called by God to get up, which really matters for the story. Jonah's been called by God to get up and go to Nineveh and to preach a message of repentance to the Ninevites. Instead, he goes down to the port city of Joppa. He buys a ticket for a boat to take him to uh, Tarshish, which is west. I know last week I think I said east. Uh, Jonah goes as far west as he possibly can in the known world, okay? If you were to look at the map that's in your resource guide, okay? If you'll see where Tarshish is, it's over where the Straits of Gibraltar are. And again, that would have been like the farthest point west in the known world because on the other side of the Straits of Gibraltar was the Atlantic Ocean, the scary deep, the scary ocean. Jonah gets on this boat and then he goes down into the hold where he goes asleep. He gets... Um, he gets awakened by the captain because this big storm is coming up and, and there's all this chaos going on on the ship and they figure out that, um, that Jonah is the one who is to blame for this because he's fleeing from God. God tells him what to do. He knows what he should do and instead he flees from God. He doesn't want to do it. So God's justice and mercy is sending Jonah to Nineveh. That's where he started last week. God's justice and mercy is sending Jonah to Nineveh. God sees what's happening in Nineveh. He sees all the wickedness and the evil that the Assyrian Empire is doing on people. And we think that what God ought to just do is smite them, which is what Jonah thinks. Instead, God says, Jonah, I want you to go. I want you to warn them. Because I see their wickedness. And while justice is coming, I'm going to extend them some mercy. And it's Jonah's apathetic reluctant disobedience and his hatred of God that sends him in the opposite direction. So he knows clearly what God is calling to and he goes in the opposite direction. The more Jonah flees and runs from God, we've got to notice this in the story. The more Jonah flees and runs from God, the more his isolation increases. This is instructive for us. 
right? Jonah goes down to Joppa. And then he goes down into the hold of the ship. You see things getting smaller and smaller. The sailors throw him into the ocean where he goes down into the depths. He goes down into the bellies of the fish. And in the, sec- the text that we're going to read today that Zane's read for us, he goes down into the depths to this place called Sheol. And one of the things that we need to recognize as we read this Jonah story, this story where we are tempted to write it off as a kid's story, because Jonah goes into the belly of a fish. We have that Pinocchio image in our heads, right? We're tempted to write this off as a children's story, but it's not. What this is telling us is that sin focuses us inward. The deeper we go into sin, the more we are focused on ourselves the less we're focused on other people. And that that doesn't only isolate us from one another. Our sin doesn't only isolate us from one another. Our sin isolates us from God. That's what sin does. And the amazing thing is, is as Jonah's trying to constantly go down, right? He's trying to get away from God. He's going to go hide out in all of these places where he thinks God can't find him. What he finds instead is that he cannot escape God's mercy. God's mercy is in the storm, alerting the sailors that something is wrong on their ship. God's mercy is the captain who's shouting, wake up, how can you sleep at a time like this? See, this is God's mercy for us. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will spare us. God's mercy reveals Jonah's sin through the lots. Remember, the sailors are trying to figure out why this is all going on, so they cast lots, and the lot falls on Jonah. This is an act of mercy of God. And I think one of the things, if we could read this story, and we could learn that God's mercy will sometimes be hard. God's mercy will be challenging for us. And what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to look for God's mercy in the midst of hard times. And then finally, God's mercy provides a fish. And see, these are the things that Jonah is learning, and we're learning along with him, is there's nowhere that Jonah can go. There's nowhere that Jonah can go that he can escape God's justice or God's mercy. See, Jonah would have been familiar with Psalm 139, verses 7 to 12. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never escape from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, so the Hebrew word there is Sheol, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning. Now, I don't know what that means. I think that's, a, that's an idiom, but that sounds awesome, doesn't it? To ride the wings of the morning. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Don't you hear Jonah's story in this? I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and the light are the same to you. So we got to remember that Jonah is not here. Jonah is not in the belly of a fish by accident. It's not bad luck. It's not dumb luck. It's a mercy of God. 
See, Jonah has, has spent the first chapter, we can say, I think we could comfortably say weeks. Jonah is spending time fleeing from God, doing all of these things to get away from God. And God's grace puts him in the belly of a fish. And like Cody said earlier, sometimes we have to hit the bottom before we respond to God's grace. I wonder what that would have been like for, for Jonah to be in the belly of this fish, surrounded by fish guts and stomach acid and all of this really gross things. Well, there's a word for that. Sheol. It would have been, it would have been hell. It would have been the place of the dead. So I've never been in the belly of a fish. My guess is you've never been in the belly of a fish. The closest thing that I can ever think of is um, when, we were, when we, we were married for a couple years, we had Katie was born, our son Nathan was on the way, and I was, I was between jobs. I was between jobs. And so I started working at this temporary agency, and I worked at this one place all summer long, and like that job kind of ended. If you've ever worked for a temporary agency, you know what that's like. That job ended. Well, then they sent me to work in this cement factory. One of my jobs was, um, was standing at the conveyor belt. And like every third bag, like I had to pull off, weigh it, and then put it back on, right? And those things, you know, did you ever see that I Love Lucy episode where she's eating the chocolate? I was not eating concrete, but that's what it felt like, right? Every third bag taken off. So that was kind of one of my jobs. Well, then they had this, they had this, um, this silo outside and it was filled with sand. You know where this is going. And um, I'm pretty confident this is now illegal. But they, put, they sent me into this, into this silo. So I go down into the silo because when, they, you know, when it drains, some sand kind of gets stuck up on the side. And it's like somebody, of course the temp, has to go into there and like scrape all the sand off to get it go down so it goes out, right? Well, inside that silo, I don't know if you know this, inside that silo is this metal cone to make sure it doesn't get all impacted on there. So guess who got to crawl down into the silo underneath this metal cone. Like I maybe had like this much space to like slide down into here. And all I could think about was if those guys hate my guts, all they got to do is fill this thing with sand and like I will never be heard from again. So I did that job as quickly as I possibly could and I got the shield out of that place because I, I did not want to be in that, in that confinement. Like it was frightening to be in that place. It was scary. I was, I was isolated, right? I'm isolated from everyone else. Here's what Jonah says. I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. This is Jonah chapter 2, verse 2. I called out to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. So let's talk about, um, let's talk about being swallowed by a fish for a minute. Let's talk about what that, what that means. So remember, what does John believe about Jonah being swallowed by a fish? It happened. Okay? It happened. But that phrase, swallowed by a fish, is laden with meaning that we will miss if we don't understand a little bit about, about the culture of their day. So, so the first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about the universe 
as, as people who lived in the Near East would have understood it. There's going to be a picture on the screen. Um, I'm going to walk over to it in a second. This is also in that version app. Um, so let's put that picture on the screen. Perfect. This is what ancient Near Eastern people believed about the universe. Right? The picture that we have of, of a blue globe of, of the earth, that picture was taken in like the 50s and 60s. Until that moment, they really had no idea what earth looked like. This is, this is ancient cosmology. This is when, you, when an Israelite person or a Sumerian person or anyone who lived in that time thought about the universe, this is what they thought about the universe. Okay? At the top, there's God, there's the heavens of heavens. There's the waters above the firmament. So if you kind of remember Genesis, how there's water in the sky and water beneath the earth, you kind of see where this kind of comes from. We're going to spend a lot more time on this graphic um, next year. But this is what the people thought. So, so there's the waters above, then there's the sky. Notice the sun and the moon are inside the earth. Right? So then there's the earth, there's this great deep down here, and then right there in the middle is this place called Sheol. Okay? So they did not have our understanding of what the universe looked like. So when Jonah is talking about going down to this place of the dead, he's talking about going to Sheol, that place like kind of in the middle, in the middle of the earth. Secondly, the people in the ancient Near East believed in lots of gods and deities. And each of these gods were responsible for different parts of creation. We talked about this several years ago when we went through the Ten Commandments. The people believed that there were localized and regionalized gods. So, for instance, we live in western Nebraska. 2,500 years ago, if we were ancient Near Eastern people who happened to live in western Nebraska, the God that we would worship would be the God that's on our side of the state. The God that other people worshipped was a God that lived on the other side of the state. Like he had, he had dominion and domain over, over, over different parts. There was no large God. There was no one God. And we saw this last week. The storms come up, and what do the sailors start doing? They pray to their gods, right? It's a shotgun approach. Like whatever god we happen, like whosever territory we happen to be in, we're praying to our gods, and we're praying to the god who's over this territory to deliver us. Notice what the captain said. <clears throat> Get up and pray to your God. And if you look in Jonah chapter 1, you'll see that was a lowercase g. Pray to your God. Maybe he'll pay attention and he will spare our lives. So one of these ancient gods was this god named Enki. He was the Sumerian god of water. And he actually lived under the earth in the water. So you remember that image? Where the earth, like the, the ground was just kind of floating and there was this deep underneath this god named Enki lived under the earth in this water. And when you wanted to communicate, if someone wanted to communicate with this god, you would send them a message. And this is where things kind of get really kind of crazy, and we need to pay really close attention to what's going on here in Jonah. If you wanted to send this god a message, the vehicle, like the delivery method, they didn't have email. They would use a fish. 
So if I want to communicate to this God, I'm going to use a fish. I'm going to put something into a fish. And not only if I, was am I going to communicate this way, but if I wanted to get to the underworld, if I wanted to get to Sheol and return, I'm going to go on a fish. So this begins to expand our minds on what's happening in Jonah. Is it's not just he was swallowed by fish, but there's something else going on. And does anyone want to guess how long it took time-wise to go to Sheol and back in the belly of a fish? Three days. See, there's something taking place underneath this story. And, and if we just read this as a kid's book, we're going to completely miss what's going on. Like, where is Jonah going? Let's read again Jonah 2, 2 to 10. And I want, you to, I want you to think about that image that I showed as we read through this again. I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, that's Sheol, and you, Lord, heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank where? Down to the heart of the sea. See, we have this image of, of Jonah going into the water, and he's going ever, ever, ever deeper. And from a, from a universal understanding, Jonah is going into the depths of the earth. And it's not just the belly of a fish, and it is the belly of a fish, but it's so much more than the belly of a fish. What's really interesting about this, at the very first word in, in, in verse 3 is you. Was it God that threw Jonah into the water? It was the sailors. Why did they throw Jonah into the water? Because of his sin. And yet, it's easy to, this book makes, me, makes it really easy for us to throw stones at Bible characters. And yet, see, Jonah is recognizing that God is still in this. As much as it's his sin that put him into the water, God is still at work through this. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence. And again, there's that word. And isn't it crazy that Jonah would say that? But God's at work. Yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods, lowercase g, Turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. I will fulfill all my vows for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah onto the beach. See, when an Israelite would have, would have read this story, when an Israelite would have heard this story, what they would have heard was, Jonah has been carried to Sheol and back. 
Jonah was as good as dead. In fact, he may as well have been dead. And I wonder how many of us, when, we, when, we, when we're truly aware of our sinfulness and we feel God convicting us and the Holy Spirit at work in our souls, don't we resonate with Jonah's story? Feeling like we are so far, we are so distant from God. But Jonah wasn't dead, and he wouldn't be dead. And the question is, why? Because God sent him a fish. God sent Jonah a fish. See, Jonah was delivered from the realm of the dead in the body of a fish. See, there's so much going on in this story. It's not just about Jonah being in a fish and being delivered from this thing. It's Jonah talking about this real experience that these Israelites, these ancient near people would have understood that Jonah is on his way to be dead. And God delivered him in the belly of a fish. So we start asking these questions. Is this literal? Right, isn't that where we, that's where we want to camp out. We want to, we want to put our stake in the ground, our flag in the ground, and, and say, yes, this is a literal story. And it is a literal story. I believe it's a literal story. I believe Jonah was swallowed by a fish. Is it figurative? Yeah, I think it's figurative as well. See, I think it's both. I think you can logically believe that Jonah was swallowed in the belly of a fish and you can believe there was some other thing under, underlaying that same story taking place. And one of the things that's so amazing about this Jonah story, and we're going to talk more about this next week, is if you've read the rest of the book of Jonah, you'll see his eight-word sermon, which I'm incapable of. You'll see Jonah's eight-word sermon, and kind of our, our initial mindset is, is to think, well, maybe, you know, surely Jonah said more, and he just didn't have time to write it all down. See, and I would, I would push back against that, because we have, we have an Old Testament filled with prophetic books where it's nothing but words of the prophet. So because we have so few words of prophecy from Jonah, that tells us this book is about something else. And what this book is about is about the prophet. It's not just about what happens to the Ninevites. It's about what happens in Jonah's heart. And what God is doing is he is delivering Jonah. Because the truest part of this story is God delivered Jonah from a deserved death. Jonah was not in this circumstance circumstantially. He was there because of his own sin. The only thing that Jonah contributed to his salvation was the apathy, the reluctance, and the disobedience that necessitated him to be saved. Do you see that? That was what Jonah had to offer. His moment of crisis is self-inflicted. There's no one else to blame. There's no one else to turn the point fingers at. It's just him seeking into the depths, seaweed wrapping around his head, if you've ever swam in deep water before, you know, you get to like a certain point, eight or 10 feet down, and you start to feel that pressure coming in on you. And Jonah is in the depths. 
and God arranges for a fish to swallow him. See, in Jonah's moment of crisis, God delivers grace. And this is a perfect rescue, and this is a perfect example of how God rescues us. God sees us where we are, self-inflicted, self-caused, and he rescues us. As I was working this week on this, I was just reminded again of Ephesians 2. And I'm sure you've heard me read this text a thousand times. And it's so glorious and so magnificent that it's worth reading a thousand and one. This is Ephesians 2, verse 1. Again, I want you to, want you to listen to this story and think about what we've been talking about when it comes to Jonah. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. That's Jonah, right? Jonah's as good as dead. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. Notice that's important. That pronoun is important. All of us used to live that way. Paul is not writing to non-Christians. When we read these letters in the New Testament, we need to constantly remind ourselves that Paul's audience are Christians. He's writing to people who know the stories. He's writing to believers. And here he's reminding them of something that I think we all need to be reminded of. All of us used to live that way. All of us used to live that way. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our spiritual sinful nature. By our, sin, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Christians, we have to remember who we were. As we interact with people who aren't followers of Christ and we point our fingers and we cluck our tongues at their sinfulness and at their brokenness, we must remember that this was us. For some of us, maybe that was a long time ago. For some of us, maybe it wasn't so long ago. For some of us, maybe there are still degrees of this, that God is at work in our lives, putting to death in our souls. But see, this is who we were. And again, think about Jonah. Verse 4, Ephesians 2. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Even though Jonah was in the depths of the sea, even though Jonah was on his way to Sheol, even though Jonah was perishing because of God's richness of mercy, he loved Jonah so much that he sent, he gave him life. I love the parentheses in verse five. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us and future in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as he has shown in all he's done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. So see, when we read the Jonah story, this is where we got to be careful to not make it a kid story because we should see God's justice. We should see God's work on Jonah's heart. But ultimately, 
What we should see in the Jonah story is God's mercy, is God's grace, is a person who hears directly from God, and this like presses on all of us, because how many of us think, well, if God would have just communicated to me to go to Nineveh, I would have gone to Nineveh. I would submit to you that God communicates to you all the time. And the question is, are we obedient to what he calls us to? So Jonah is an example of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness. Verse 8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. I love this next part. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Much like the only thing that Jonah contributed to his salvation was his sinful disobedience. The only thing that you contribute to your salvation is the sin that necessitates it. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Some of us need to sit in that. For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can go, so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. See, this Jonah story is not a kid's book. And when we do that, we miss God's story for us. Jonah's the story of a man who cares so little for other people that he would rather them suffer at the hand of God's wrath than tell them anything about God. Jonah's the story of, of a man who cares so little for God that he will literally go to hell to escape from God. And God's response is mercy. God's response is grace. Isn't that wonderful? See, for us, as we, as we think about our relationship with God and we want to flee from that, we want to flee from the tasks that God has for us, God shows mercy. God is good. God is showing mercy to the people that we don't want to tell the gospel to, and he's using you to do it. If you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, my hope is that you will see, you'll see the depths at which your sin separates you from God. And that word depth is pun intended. See, when we when we isolate and we flee from what God is calling us to, we only go deeper and deeper and deeper into ourselves. Maybe you're in the early stages of your fleeing from God. Maybe, maybe you've heard, from, like maybe you're hearing this today or you've heard this before. Maybe you're just like, eh, I'm just going to go to Joppa. Right? Kind of like low-grade uh, disobedience of which there is no such thing. Maybe I'm just going to buy, maybe I'm just going to buy a ticket. Right? You see how we progressively flee from God? I'm going to, maybe you are in the hold of a ship sleeping. Maybe this, maybe this message, if God's grace is, would be so majestic. Maybe God's grace would be the captain knocking on your door telling you to wake up. Maybe you're sinking in the sea. Maybe you are in deep, deep trouble, again, pun intended. 
See, what God is doing, he's throwing you a lifeline, and that lifeline is Jesus. And my hope is at some point you will see in your life, you'll see the wreckage that's caused by your sin. Not only in yourself, but you'll see the wreckage that your sin is causing in other people's lives. My hope is you'll repent of that. You will come to an awareness that running from God is not the answer. And for those of you who are believers, my prayer for you is that you would recognize the depths of the sin in which you once lived. You would never forget that. And I don't mean, I don't mean wallow in it. I don't mean be filled with um, pointless guilt and shame over your sin. I don't mean live in regret. I mean remember who you were and then celebrate who you are in Christ because of what he did. And see, when you do that, when you remember who you were, you will have so much sympathy and empathy and compassion for people who are sinners. Because in the back of your mind, you'll be like, yep, I used to be like that. And truth to be told, there are some days where I just want to flip that switch and I like, because sin and temptation is so strong, there are some days I just want to flip that switch and go back to that lifestyle. But God has saved me. My prayer for you is that you remember the depths from which you were delivered by God. This wasn't because you're a good person. It's because God is good. And he's a mission for you. And that mission is for you to participate in God's work. This is what we have been invited into as Christians. If you're not a Christian, this is what you're being invited into. Not to rest on your laurels. That's another idiom. Not to rest on your laurels. Not to sit back and be like, well, I'm saved. No, we have been saved so that we can go around town pounding on doors telling people to wake up because God's mercy is here. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for your mercy. I'm thankful for your grace. I'm thankful for the way that you have delivered each and every one of us from death. Each and every one of us who are followers of Christ have been snatched from the jaws of death. A sure death, a deserved death. And through Jesus, you have snatched us from that death. I pray, God, that we will be, we will be overwhelmed with gratitude. And that gratitude will will demonstrate itself by sharing the news with others. By loving them and by serving them. Help us to be grateful for your deliverance and to, to demonstrate that gratefulness by helping others to be delivered as well. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.